0: You try me once, you are back for more Yes sir, I can boogie But I need a certain song I can boogie, boogie woogie On and low Hello
1: and welcome back to the Tartan Scarf podcast. On this show I always try to bring in guests who have a unique perspective on Scotland's national game. My next guest has had a literal front-row seat to the biggest moments in Scottish football history in recent times. He's Charles Patterson, who spent 17 years reporting on Scottish football for Sky Sports from the press conferences and stadiums of Scotland and beyond. Charles shares his fond memories of Walter Smith's Scotland side and his trick for avoiding the famous glare. His thoughts on who had the better golden generation between Hibbs and Dundee United and finally, we dig into Steve Clark's Scotland side and whether they're on the right track, whatever that means. I do hope you enjoy this conversation and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And you can get all of our content by following the Tartan Scarf on Twitter and Instagram. But let's bring in Charles. Charles Patterson, welcome to the Tartan Scarf podcast. Hello. Nice to be here. Good. No, it's very good to have your company. Good to see you. Um, before we start, let me just let me throw a date at you before we begin. So Saturday, the 31st of July, 2021, that date was important because it was the first round of fixtures in the SPFL Premiership this season. And it's the first round of fixtures that you were not personally covering in the game <laughs> for the first time in almost two decades. Mm. How how did that feel?
0: Um. I'm trying to remember what I was doing that day. (laughs) That's funny. Um, And I thought, you know what? I could go into the diary here for 10 (laughs) seconds. Um, So bear with me. It was a bit weird. I have to be honest. Um, It was very, very strange because we, working at Sky, we've gone through the process of giving it the big build-up for the start of every season. And you would be live at every club. uh, You'd be crisscrossing the the country. Ah, I know. And a great fun. And also you could be... Yeah, you could be really creative with it. In fact, my diary is utterly blank for that day. Um, I'm sure I was probably doing something with my children, or maybe on the golf course, one or the other. Um, I took most of the summer off actually. Um, with the, I've got two boys who are primary school age, and so we spent a lot of time uh, hanging out over the summer, doing all sorts of holiday stuff in Scotland and playing golf and you know visiting family and things like that. So, <laughs> but I, I didn't really. Um, I didn't really pay too much attention to the first weekend of the season because I was deliberately trying to kind of take a bit of time out. I had been burning the candle at both ends for, yeah, 16 years, yeah. give or take. Um, so it was, yeah, strange. But again, it is what it is. You get, you crack on with it. And I mean, there's always something happening in the world, whether it's from a from a sporting perspective, whether it's football or anything else. So no, absolutely. Um, it's I've always kept half an eye on it since uh, I stopped working at Sky a, a few months ago. But um, yeah, it's not been quite as intense the last few months, which has been nice actually in some regards. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean,
1: do you, I mean, you must have kind of got your weekends back to a certain extent.
0: I, I do. I I, I would my family would definitely say that as well Um, I have been doing quite a bit of uh, coaching, my primary three uh, football team, rugby cricket um, trying in vain to give them a decent golf swing Um, so yeah I've been doing a bit of coach a bit of kind of primary school kids coaching Um, I have been to a few games uh, and I've been doing quite a bit of uh, cooking actually I've become a glorified chef for my wife who has a proper job and, uh, yeah, just just hanging out at home. I've got... Uh, we, our house is generally a tip when you have young children. That is a very um, easy kind of uh, method to get into, just living in chaos. So it's nice, I think, for my uh, other half, who has been working at home pretty much for two years ever since the start of the pandemic, to have someone who can keep the place slightly tidier than it has been normally when I was working. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. So you're, you're sort of half... Um... Half Mary Poppins, half Pep Guardiola, basically.
0: No, no, no. I'm just I'm becoming a i am just i becoming ai call it a glorified house husband, but my wife would beg like to differ. I'm just um just trying to be useful, really.
1: Yeah.
0: I do I, I do uncool. It's fine. It's just the way it is.
1: Fantastic. Well, look, I guess I mean you're right. There are always things, always things happening, and obviously, I guess we should really before we get into a lot of this Scotland chat. Obviously, last week, we saw the very sad passing of Walter Smith, you know, absolute icon of the game domestically and in Scotland, England, and obviously internationally, having been Scotland head coach. You know, he he's one of the guys who his, his stature in the game is so big that he only needs one name. You know, like Sir Alex, in the same way, Walter is all that was required. Now, obviously... He's been around the game while you've been covering it. You know what? What are your sort of real memories of Walter Smith? And did you ever get the
0: glare at a press conference? Well, I'll come to the glare in a minute because I have found a solution to the glare. Um, but yeah, it's it's a kind of almost an end of an era feeling with the passing of Walter. And of course, um, you know, our, all our condolences go to his family and. And uh, I, I know his son Neil from his time working at Rangers, and um, I mean it's terribly, terribly sad. Uh, he was a a real um, education for me as a young journalist um, working with Walter, because um, that's what you do as a journalist. You don't, you know, you're not you're not going out to try and especially when you come into sport. I think you're not you're not you're not going out to to create adversaries. You're working with people. You're trying to promote the game in a positive light. And mm-hmm. when I came into sports journalism in Scotland, Walter had just taken over as Scotland manager. And one of the first gigs that I did uh, was go to the, the Italy game at Hamden when Scotland drew one each. And he was just molding a team at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I attended the pre-match press. And then I, on, on the day of the actual game, I stood behind the goal at the east end of Hamden Park. It was a beautiful sunny day and I was standing with a cameraman um, who was doing what we call a low behind shot angle. So, and I was told, in those days it was all on tape. I was told to run the tape back to the, to the VT truck if um, you, we got any decent shots and any decent angles. So I was at the far end from when Kenny Miller scored the opening goal, and then I think it was um, Fabio Grosso who got the equalizer. Mm-hmm. Who he was the guy that scored the winning penalty in the World Cup the following year. Um, but that you know that Scotland team was on the rise, and it was all due to Walter because he took over at a time when you know it was really in the doldrums. Of course, I mean, um, arguably, arguably our lowest I think I think we yeah, were at and, our lowest FIFA ranking uh, ever. Pretty yeah, true. they were pretty. They were pretty appalling. It was fair to say, and I hadn't really because I had come out of university and I wasn't kind of fully aware of just how bad they were. I'd noticed under-20 <laughs> results had been going downhill and downhill. And I think probably like a lot of Scotland fans, I'd become a bit of disillusioned and switched off. Mm-hmm. And then I get, I, I, I kind of dive into the industry and I'm, I'm now working around the, you know, the club game and the na- international game on a full-time basis. And you got the sense that he was just, it was going to be a slow burn process. But he was so professional, he was so organized and meticulous about his plan for the team. Mm-hmm. And so you, you would see him at, at press conferences um, and at uh, you know like squad gatherings they were gather, you know they used to gather at Cameron House in those days. And everything was just organized, and it was all very prof- it was just prof- professional was the word. He was so professional, it wasn't true, and I think that rubbed off on his players and his coaching staff. And you got this sense that things were actually going to turn for the better. And obviously they did. And over the course of time, and it was only two years, he was in charge at Scotland. Um, and I didn't have a lot to do with him, but I did attend a couple of press conferences and you you, you got the vibe that they were onto a good thing. And then of course he went to Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I had far more dealings with him at Rangers on a day-to-day basis because that was kind of how our working week revolved around um, covering Scottish football. Uh, it was Celtic. One day, Rangers the next, or both on the same day, and you would invariably be at one of those press conferences. And especially the season when Rangers reached the UEFA Cup final, I do recall pretty much living half my life at Murray Park, as it was known then. And there was a press conference every other day because they had a game every other day. Yeah, yeah, they did. And you kind of ran out of things to say to him. But (laughs) the reason I say it was an educational process is because at the same time, Gordon Strachan was the Celtic manager. And the two of them, as a, for me, as a young guy learning my trade, it made you think about every single thing you said to them in terms of a question. You had to be meticulous word for word in what you said to them and how you said it because they were waiting for one small moment of weakness in the question that you were asking or the way that you were trying to get them to interpret it. And they would throw it back at you. Now, that wasn't – some of you – some people could argue that that was a you know, a deliberate ploy to throw you off your guard, but they, they, they both, both of them knew how to work the media. And I think Walter ultimately was the master of it because he was able to brief you off the record about things um, that, that were happening. And he, at the same time, would say on the record the things that mattered and the things fans and the media needed to hear. And as a result, you were able to develop a bit of a relationship with him. He never gave too much away. But equally, he was he was able to give you, from from your perspective, what you wanted, um, and so it was just fascinating to to see. He was a he was a master of his craft, really. And in terms of the glare, <laughs> I say I kind of found I, I found a a solution to it. So I am I've got this is terrible for an audio podcast, but I've got specs on here. Um, but I wear contact lenses most of the time and I am terribly short-sighted really badly short-sighted and I realized that there would be occasions when sometimes you'd be asking a manager a question they didn't like and it was terrifying if you you asked them and you get the full bore glare so I worked out especially if it was a morning press conference if I went and I wore my glasses just before I asked a really awkward question I would take my glasses off (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't see Walter. And I'm asking him something really obscure like, eh, you got beaten in the last game. Are you going to drop so-and-so? Or, is you know, do you feel that this could have been handled better? And if the glare was there, I would only find out when I went back to the office and looked at it on the tape. I would be sitting there blissfully unaware because I'd be like this and I couldn't see what he was doing in terms of looking at me so I found this my own personal solution to the Walter glare but he was I don't think there was any animosity and when he he stared people out I think it was genuinely the fact that he, he it was almost a kind of silent unwritten um dare you ask that again please ask that one more time yeah and that's well, just that was just the way that Walter is and that's the way that, that that's all part of the fun of working in sports journalism and having having a bit of back and forth with these guys who are obviously hugely important and influential and they want to test you just as you're trying to test them. Mm-hmm.
1: No, for sure. And I, th- I think probably part of that with Walter is that, you know, he, you very much got the impression that he just drove the highest of standards all the time and whether that's a player – under his employment or a fellow coach or a member of the media he just wanted to drive the best out of everybody you know and and that is basically how he managed to get the best out of everyone and i think yeah. you know a lot of um a lot of times in with football managers you only tend to realize the scale of their achievement many years later you know and i think you're right certainly what he achieved with that rangers team you know people will, will look at that rangers team objectively now that got to a uefa cup final and think Wow, I can't believe he took that group of players all the way to a, f- a European final, and likewise, some of the results that he achieved with Scotland were phenomenally impressive, given what he, the state of the team that he picked up, and where he took them to. And I guess, do, do you think, do you think there's maybe some kind of a, something similar there with Steve Clark in this Scotland side, in terms of fact that Steve Clark picked up a Scotland side that was at a very low ebb? Arguably, they'd come off what was, you know, probably one of the worst results in Scotland's history, losing 3-0 in Kazakhstan, and you see where he's taking them to now. I mean, how how impressed are you with, with where this Steve Clark Scotland team is?
0: There are similarities there, but ultimately, the, the job of an international manager is to make the most of what you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. And certainly under Walter Smith, I think Scotland did that. To beat France at Hamden, I, I was there that day, in the VT truck, the truck was rocking, the <laughs> stadium was rocking. Um, that was as good as Scotland could play on that particular day. It wasn't pretty, but they achieved the goal and they did it by whichever means possible and they made the most of what they had. Um, and that was the campaign, obviously, where potentially they could have qualified. And they, they I think ultimately they they absolutely maxed out every iota of talent in that squad to get to the point whereby they were what five minutes away from beating italy and getting to the euros um, under alex who took it on from walter and i think when you look at what steve clark is doing there you you need it the other thing about being an international manager i think you need a bit of luck as well Mm -hmm. and you know luck's a bit of of, i guess a subjective thing but it's um you know you're having to rely on players who are you they're not your players they're our club's players they may or may not be fully fit they're coming to you in drips and drabs and they might not fancy it because their club manager is telling them oh you know you know just take yourself a bit of ease on this international break people buy into it a concept that they believe is going to work and that is absolutely the case with international management and i think with steve clark he inherited a squad that perhaps wasn't completely bought into the concept and he took time to lay his concept down. You remember some of the results he had when he first took over were not Mm. great at all. yeah. And some of the performances were just as, as poor as the results. It has been a slow burn working process. There's absolutely no doubt about it, but he is getting the results that matter. There has been luck along the way. There's absolutely no doubt that there was good fortune in getting to the euros through the penalty shootouts. Mm -hmm. Um, was, well,
1: frankly, frankly even you know, even 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 the fact that we had that playoff
0: in the back, you know, the fact that
1: yeah. Clark could come into the job two games into a qualifying campaign and basically be able to say almost right off that qualifying campaign after two games and say, right, the next eight games, all that all that matters is that we're ready for the playoff, and to know that we've got that playoff coming up, that is a fortunate position to be in for sure. Yeah,
0: and I I I also believe this is my personal view. I believe that the pandemic actually helped Scotland qualify as well because that playoff against Serbia, don't forget, was scheduled for March 2020. And he had not at that time found the system which scotland are playing they were playing a back four they were mm. leaking goals they were scoring yeah. goals but they were leaking goals as well and at that and, christmas mctominy was injured long term Yeah, mcginn was well, injured and there's long-term. no and there was no concept that Scott McTominay would perhaps play as a right center back it wasn't nope. even thought about and so the pandemic certainly i mean i think the pandemic helped a lot of football clubs um and hindered some as well um an international perspective i think it helped scotland because it bought him eight nine months whereby he could sit he could reflect on his personnel what he wanted to do going forward and then i remember that september um last year just over a year ago when he started playing that back three Mm -hmm. and we all questioned it as journalists we said hang on a minute what's going on here because McTominay looked like a fish out of water but they pers- he pursued you know he pursued it. They got through the playoff against Israel, and then you get to no- um, November and to the final against Serbia, and they deserved to win the game. They were you know they rode a lot with the penalties in some respect, but they deserved to win that game um, because they, I, you know, they, I, in my view, they bossed the game for the, in the ninety minutes, and then perhaps there was a couple of great saves in the, in the in the extra time area. But to have success, you have to have a bit of luck, and so Steve's had that. Walter had that as a manager, um, and Steve has definitely had it. And this squad is a squad that's at a good age. They're not veterans. Um, they're, a lot of them are young players, are coming into their prime. And they are, all you can say is, are they better now than they were when he took over? And absolutely they are. Are they at their peak? I don't think they are. But I think it's difficult to judge what is Scotland's peak because equally, The squad he's got now and the squad he had at the Euros, he's already changed that because David Marshall has been eased out and you've got Craig Gordon as the goalkeeper. What's the plan in, say, the next 12 to 18 months? If they get to the World Cup, which we all hope they do, is that squad that you've got right now going to be the same squad in 12 months' time? Probably not. So it's a constant working process. Um, But he is acutely aware of the need to not get overly dramatic about it steve clark and that's that one of the things that i think he shares with walter smith is he's a pretty cool customer
1: yeah yeah absolutely um i think i think certainly you know one one of the things that i see steve clark being criticized over and obviously the squad is just about to be announced and you may be listening to this after the squad has been announced so we'll know who's in who's out but People often say that Steve Clark, he's not—he doesn't make enough—he doesn't make a lot of changes squad to squad. There's constantly calls for certain players to get called up who are on really good form right now. Johnny Russell, Ryan are sort of being called upon by a lot of fans. But I always like to like to say, you know, if you look back to the squads that Steve Clark was playing when he first started, you know, there are so many players that were getting all the caps then that are now no longer in the squads. You know, guys like McBurney, Burke. Charlie Mulgrew played about four or five of Steve Clark's first games at centre-back, and is now no, those guys are nowhere near. And Billy Gilmore, uh, Nathan Patterson, Shea Adams, Lyndon Dykes, you know they've all made their debuts under Steve Clark. And Grant Hanley's come back, having been away for years. So the evolution of the squad is there, and it has been evolving. So maybe it's not happening as quickly as other people might like, but it, you can't deny the evolution of the squad has been happening
0: well I, ultimately, every supporter out there has got a different squad to the one that the, the managers picked it's mm-hmm. always going to it's been like that since the beginning of time, and it will continue to be like that you'll never find everybody happy um, <laughs> it was the, the, <laughs> you go back to what is the job of an international manager? The job of the international manager is to make the most of the players at his disposal now it's ultimately up to him to decide who he wants to put in his squad, but you know we're a wee country there's maybe 30, 35 players, 40 players maybe of international calibre, true international calibre, that are Scottish origin. That's, that's a fact, you know, that is an absolute fact. And he's picking 25 or thereabouts in every squad. And you would say that there's another 10 or 15 on the fringes who are potentially pushing through, whether they're young players or they're, they're players who've had a chance before and they're banging on the door once more. And that's fine. But what he has tried to do, Steve Clark, is instill a club mentality, Um, which he's talked about all the time. And the players bang on about that all the time. So if you've got a core of 20 players who are turning up every every two months or every month, then that's your nucleus. And then you can add one or two on the side. Now, he went, he was bold. And I think he was absolutely right when he announced his Euro squad to put David Turnbull in there, to put Nathan Patterson in there and to put Billy Gilmore in there. He nailed it. And at the time... I think everyone was delighted, mm-hmm. and then immediately you, you heard some folks saying, "Well, why weren't they in there before?" Well, they weren't in there in before in there before because they weren't ready. Yeah, and that's ultimately the manager's prerogative. Now, Nathan Patterson and Billy Gilmore, well, they they then got the chance, they got the opportunity during the Euros, and I think Billy Gilmore was an interesting one because I, I I remember seeing Billy Gilmore at a game. Goodness, no, it would have been. Eight, yeah, over a year ago, it was a game against Lithuania in the 21... The 21s played Lithuania at Tyne Castle, I think it was. And I was really looking forward to seeing him. Um, in fact, this was 2019, I think. And it might have even been... It wasn't... Yeah, it was, it was two years ago. And um, he was bullied out of the game. Mm-hmm. He was bullied out of the game. I'd heard so much about him. I hadn't seen him in the flesh. I thought, I need to go and see this, this guy and see how good he is. And his technique was absolutely not up for debate. And when he got the ball and he had time on the ball, he he was a joy to watch. But some of these Lithuanian under-19s, they certainly looked a bit older than... Or under-21s, they looked a bit older than that. Anyway, they, they kind of harassed him at the game and he faded out of the game. Because physically, he's not the biggest on the planet. No. I mean, him and Scott McTominay are like chalk and cheese, of course. Yeah. And so... Clearly, if you're Steve Clark and you're watching something like that, and you're getting the information from Scott Gemmell in charge of the 21s, you will know how good a player he is. But it's about timing. A lot of these things it is a Mm -hmm. it is a lot about timing. When you whip it way back to when Bertie Vokes was in charge, Bertie Vokes took over and started blooding young players all over the place, and it was a bit scattergun. Let's be honest, but some of it came off because McFadden got a got a run in the team when he was 19, 20 years old. Aaron Fletcher. And Darren Fletcher, Darren Fletcher made his debut at 19 and scored against Lithuania. And that was it. Liftoff. So a lot of what Bertie did actually paid off for Scotland Mm long-term, albeit there were players he picked and he called up. He should never have picked and called up. So it's a very, very delicate balancing act to know when a player is ready for international football. And you can only have X, X number of players in your squad. Mm-hmm. um and he I, I i see the argument about Stephen o'donnell um often being in the squad and why he's in the squad and he's not talented enough to be in the squad and i'm not going to judge whether or not steven should be in the squad or not but i know that steve knows Stephen inside out mm-hmm. and steve clark is a better judge of Stephen o'donnell than any scotland fan will ever be yes. um and ultimately he knows what he can offer for the squad and Stephen o'donnell proved during the euros and especially in that game against england that he deserved to be in the squad. Now, whether he deserves to be in the next squad is another matter entirely, or in squads in two years' time. And if someone comes along and proves that they're better than Stephen O'Donnell, then I'm, he's an honest enough player maybe to admit that he um, he, will, he might lose his place. But yeah. he has never let his country down. And that is because the manager believes in him and you ultimately get, you, you get lifted by that as a player when a, a manager believes in you. Mm-hmm. So... Do you know Steve Clark is a very shrewd individual? And I think it's he 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 appreciates healthy debate about his squad. Mm-hmm. But what I think he grates at is random, indiscriminate criticism when players are giving their all, and when in his view, there isn't a better viable option out there. Yeah,
1: no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think what, what I've seen Steve Clark do, and I think you, you you touched on it there, he is building, he's built a team, you know, and it's not, it's not just about the players and the individuals, it's about creating, like you said, the club mentality and building that team together, and I certainly said that going into the Euros, almost kind of the most important thing from the Euros that we could take, not just about what we did when we were there, when I think, look, I was disappointed that we didn't win a game, I was disappointed that we didn't go to the knockouts, that was our ambition, and we didn't meet that. But the most important thing we could do is what we did after the Euros, because, you know, that was a unique opportunity for a Scotland manager this century to have a group of players together for a full month, effectively, work together, train together, live together and then grow together. And, you know, you're right that he's kept that nucleus of the squad together, which I think is absolutely spot on. And we're now really seeing the the benefits of that in the performances that we've seen recently. And I think on, on Stephen O'Donnell, look, I, I, I do get upset. I do get frustrated at the criticism that Stephen O'Donnell gets sometimes because he is, you, you cannot question Stephen O'Donnell's commitment. You cannot question how much he loves playing for Scotland. I mean, you look at the post-match interview he did, I think when it, did he did make his debut in Mexico. He was on that sort of post-season tour to sort of Peru and Mexico. Yeah. I mean, he's basically in tears you know, at the emotion of having represented his country and you look at that passion that he has for playing for his country and then you look at some of the things he's done on the pitch for us. You're right, the performance at Wembley was phenomenal because he spoke afterwards that he was fully aware the criticism he had received after the Czech Republic game. And, I mean, you think the pressure he must have felt he was under personally to go into that game at Wembley, knowing how criticised he had been by the fans, by the media... And to put in that performance in a higher pressure game against better opponents in the Czech Republic. And then even look at the game he played in, in Vienna uh, recently in the World Cup qualifiers. He was not fit. He was nowhere near fit. But we didn't have other an alternative because I think that was when Nathan Patterson had picked up an injury against Moldova. He had to play and he had to play the 90. And by the end of that game, he could barely move. And yet he still puts in a phenomenal performance for us. So, yeah, big fan of Stephen O'Donnell over here. Um mm. But yeah, look, I mean, where, where where do you think, I mean, do you, you presumably think that we're on something of the right track with the Scotland team? I mean, the fact <laughs> that we're now a game away from getting a playoff, which is something we've not done since 2004.
0: Well, here's the $64 million question. What is the right track? The right track is to continue improving. The, 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 ultimately... Steve Clarke is very comfortable in the job in terms of the fact that he signed a new contract recently. Yep. He is... And the, again, that was that was agreed in the summer and then a couple of shaky results at the start of this group. <laughs> and you've got people questioning whether that was a good idea. I mean, I don't... I've, I've never... I, I I noticed that um, Tottenham s- sacked their manager um, you know, today after... 10 bottom. games? Yeah, 17 <laughs> games or something. Like. How on earth can you can you build an idea and have a structure that's going to last when short-termism is considered such as that? Now, the international manager's job is arguably more difficult than a club manager's job because you've got these huge fallow periods of nothing happening, and then suddenly Mm. it's an all-intense burst of a month's full-on football and coaching and, and interviews, and then you've got nothing. I mean, I remember Craig Levine talking about how he got overcome by the boredom of being international manager. It must, I think it's a terribly difficult job. Um, and in terms of the right track of what what are you wanting from a Scotland squad, you want to be at a major tournament, absolutely. But Scotland got to the Euros as one of, you know, they're arguably the, the 22nd or 23rd best team in Europe. Yeah, the wild Let's <laughs> be honest, that's what Scotland are. Now, the yeah. argument is to get into the top 20 and then into the top 15. Now, if Scotland qualify for the World Cup, then they have made a huge leap between the Euros and well, the World Cup. We would be in the top 13, by definition. Because Correct. 13 and years so hmm. is that overachievement? You could argue that would be overachievement. Now, if Scotland get into a playoff, is that what should be expected of them? I think I think that it's not unreasonable to expect a playoff. I think that's absolutely fair, given what we've seen. Um, and it looks like there's a very good chance that there will be in a playoff. Now, should they win that playoff? I mean, it's as much of a match. I think there's probably about... 15 or 20 countries in Europe that could beat each other any given day, mm-hmm. do you know? Um, I mean, I haven't seen some of the teams that potentially Scotland could face in the playoff. I think, you know, every time I see Norway appear, I just <laughs> have dread when I think about Erling Haaland um, and what he could do to the Scotland defence. But then Norway didn't get to the Euros because they, um, you know, they Norway got knocked out.
1: By Serbia, um,
0: so every team is fallible. Um, as we've proved, I mean, Austria took Italy to the extra time in the, in the, um, in the Euros, and then look what we went and did to them in, in Austria. So I, I think progression would be a continuation of good results and good performance, but ultimately, I think Steve Clark also wants to see, he wants to see players such as Gilmore assert themselves on the international stage. I think he would probably like to see David Turnbull uh, and Nathan Patterson get a little bit more exposure on the international stage. I've been watching David Turnbull for Celtic. He's not missed a minute for Celtic this season. Mm-hmm. And this is the season for him to establish himself as arguably one of the best midfielders in Scotland uh, and thus bang on that door for international duty. But when you look at his starting 11, Steve Clark, at bar one or two positions, the best players in his team, the ones that are starting week in, week out, The vast majority of them uh, are playing down south. Um, Stephen O'Donnell and Craig Gordon apart. um, You've got Andy Robertson, a European Cup winner at Liverpool. You've got Kieran Tierney uh, at Arsenal. You've got Grant Hanley at, at Norwich. And then you look at the midfield, McGinn, McTominay, Cal McGregor at Celtic, but Cal McGregor arguably could have gone and Gone to a Premier League club in the summer yep. Ryan Christie's now down south Ryan Fraser's down south the best players historically for Scotland when Scotland have been doing well generally over the years over the last 40-50 years half the team has been playing in England mm-hmm. and that balance in my view he will always search for that and I, I look at someone like David Turnbull David Turnbull in my view is someone who could absolutely play at the highest level and by that I mean the English Premier League with no disrespect to the Scottish League and I wonder whether David Turnbull may have to wait for his chance. I don't see how he can break into that Scotland team at the moment with the guys who are in front of him. Um, well, this is it. I mean, if,
1: if, you, if you look at the sort of the established, and again, this is, this is something that Steve Clark has done. He has, really, he has built an established starting eleven, And yeah. that midfield three is effectively, it's McGregor, it's Gilmore, it's McGinn. So really...
0: Yeah, and the, the, and the alternative is Ryan Jack, who was outstanding yeah. before he got injured, and Ryan Jack was playing at an extremely high level for Rangers. And you're either playing for one of the old firm, or you're playing in England. That's just the way it has always has been. But this and so... Bad, but I mean, that... that, that, that Turnbull's got a great of, stage now to show what he can do with Celtic.
1: He does, but, but certainly mm. the, the challenge he's facing, though, is that it's basically him or McGinn <laughs> in that Scotland yeah. team, and that's when you start to get to the conversations where you're thinking, but you can't possibly, leave, how can you leave him again now, given how good he's been for Scotland? And how- good It's
0: Canada's good to have been. that dilemma, isn't it? Of course, of course it is, yeah. But <laughs> again,
1: you, know, you don't want to be an international, why, why, why would you want to be an international manager right now when you're having to make those determinations? And then even you look at, our front two is probably Dykes and Adams, but then you look at Ryan Christie's form since he's been at Bournemouth. I mean, he's got like, he's leading, almost leading the league in assists, having
0: joined late. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, There's options there now, which is, I think he didn't, uh, there were options before, but I don't think they were quite as obvious um, when Steve Clark took over as they are now. He's got depth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say he's probably got two players now for every position, which is all you can ask for, really, um, because (laughs) there is never a Scotland squad that doesn't have Mm call-offs. And um, for example, in these games coming up, Lyndon Dykes isn't going to be able to play against Moldova. And the big debate in the next week or so is going to be who's going to start up front. Now, Shea Adams, I don't know if you saw the, his goal at the weekend, was off, off the chart. About, about now, three or 400 times. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> um, and he's playing He's playing for a, a club that's been doing okay in the Premier League the last couple of years. And so he's got that experience of big games because every game in England is a big game. And I know I do appreciate a lot of... Um, Scottish fans get frustrated when talking, comparing Scottish football to English football and I absolutely get that but it is a high, it's a higher level of, of football, it's a higher intensity level of football, it's almost international level standard um, and so the, the, the more players who have that experience of either playing at that level or playing European football which is what Celtic Rangers players Aberdeen players recently and Hibernian players this year as well have had the opportunity to do, that can only stand players in good stead um going forward and so steve clark's now got options so i think going back to your original question you know is he on the right track are scotland on the right track i think they are because they've got him nailed down until 2024 Mm -hmm. he has clearly got no issue with going else elsewhere just now yep and he is quite comfortable to keep developing this team and what would success if i think an outstanding success would be to get to the world cup it would be mm. beyond what i think anyone would hope to achieve i think it should be expected now for scotland to get to the euros in 2024 um, yes. and if he doesn't i think it's a failure if he don't if they don't get there but i and i think that they should be able to qualify through their group rather than relying on the back door mm. but in terms of the the world cup it's a little bit, in my view, it's a bit of a shot to nothing, and there's a little bit less pressure there. If they get into the playoff and they don't get there, we'll sit and we'll hold our head in our hands and rue what might have been. Um, but I don't think they should be. I don't think they should be expected to get to the World Cup, even if they get to the playoff and even if they have a semi final at home, because it is a tough draw. And we saw Croatia, and the Czech Republic, come to Hampden in the summer, and they schooled us. Yeah, they schooled Scotland and you know that's the level that you aspire to but have we got world-class players potentially i think there's a couple in there who are world-class but mm-hmm. are they world-class on a consistent basis for their country and they do they show that not yet we're not there yet i would say we're on the terms of the journey if you're going to put a percentage on it, i think we're 60 to 70 percent on the way down the road but there's still a lot to go Yeah, look, I I completely
1: would not argue with with any of that. I I think, you know, progress has been made. And I think, you know, I I keep looking at all the different sort of little historical records that we keep leaving in our wake as well. You know, the fact that winning in Austria was the first away win we've had against a higher seed since 2013. You know, that's a big result. Um, Yeah, if we are to get a playoff, which it looks like we are, like we said, it's the first playoff since 2004. That's a big achievement. And yeah, I think to go from qualifying for the Euros kind of through the back door, you know, know, through the Nations League, and then to progress to being competitive across a 10-game qualifying campaign, that's huge for us because we've not done that for a very long time. Um, Funnily enough, actually, if we were to beat Moldova, it'll be the first time that we've taken 12 points from our bottom two seeds in qualifying since qualifying for the World Cup in 2002.
0: Yeah, so yeah, there's always been a disastrous result out there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, so. exactly. So again,
1: th- these are all things <laughs> that I think we can allow ourselves to feel good about. And yeah, certainly if we're in the playoffs, that puts us in the top 25 teams in Europe. Um, I think the playoffs will be a huge challenge. I, I don't know how confident I am of us going into it. I think what you said earlier about the pandemic helping us in certain ways, I think you're spot on. I think another way... That the pandemic helped us is the fact that they they split the playoffs over two qualifying uh, over two camps, mm. so that we had the semi final and final were a month apart. Obviously, initially they were supposed to be in the same week. As they can you imagine the that? Cup. Well, precisely. This 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 is what I say. You know, can you imagine? <laughs> you know, we just played one hundred and twenty minutes against Israel, gone to penalties, had the emotional physical drain of that, and then said to the players, right, Tuesday night you're in Belgrade. Would we that, have delivered by the way, if you win,
0: you're through, and if you don't, you're out. I know. That would have been, I don't think that would have been absolutely torturous for everybody, no, let exactly. alone the players. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so, and 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 that is what we're going to face in March. So even even if we do manage to get a home semi-final and we get through that, the finals four days later. So <laughs> you know, and the final yeah. could very well be against a seeded team, which could be a Portugal, could be a Russia, could be a Serbia, could be a Croatia. You know, it's really not going to be easy. But no. if we can progress through that and then. Like you said, Euro's qualifying. You finish second in Euro's qualifying, you're automatically there. And that, I think, that would be the thing. To, to be able to aim to qualify for a tournament without the need for playoffs at all, that's the dream right now. So that's- I think
0: we saw in the summer how much being at a major tournament meant to this group of players. And there have been players in the past, possibly players who are more talented than some of those in this current squad, who didn't value international football, and we talk Mm -hmm. about Stephen O'Donnell, but generally this is a, you always have a, it's a team mentality. It's not like this, this kind of superstar fantasy manager concept that you see at some of these clubs, the big clubs now with Money to Burn. That doesn't work. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work. And the best teams are the ones that are knitted together really, really well. Um, And this team is knitted together really well. And if they do get to the playoff, I would have great hopes that they would, Potentially get through to the playoff final. I mean, you're, you're, it's the luck of the draw ultimately, mm-hmm. and you're depending on you're you're on who's fit. Scotland need every single player fit to get yeah. through that playoff, and what's the chance of that? Well, I think, you know, I think especially I think,
1: in March. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think again that that was again one of the lessons that we we took from the Euros was that you know there are certain players that when we're missing them, we are gonna have a problem, and the fact that going into the Czech game to realise that Kieran Tierney probably our one irreplace one of our few irreplaceable players wasn't there, that was a big problem. And then at Wembley, Billy Gilmore makes himself irreplaceable and then we lose him for Croatia. So yeah, that that will always be an issue for us. But um but like you said we're getting the depth and we are getting there. Anyway, so look <laughs> let's um let's let's focus the attention back on the SPFL because obviously that is that has been your patch for so many years. and um, you know, and I'm fascinated to get get your take on sort of some of the players that you've sort of covered, uh, who's either started their careers or really learned their trade in the SPFL, because there are so many of them, you know, I know we said about English football is the pinnacle, and of course it mm-hmm. is, but you can't ignore the fact that so many players who are playing at such an incredibly high level now came through the school of hard knocks in the SPFL, which is so impressive, you know, like, let's, let's start with that, that Dundee United team, you know, mm-hmm. and it's crazy to look back at it now, you know, you've got Andy Robertson, John Souter, Stuart Armstrong, Ryan Gold, Gary McKay-Steven, Johnny Russell. You know, looking at that team, who did you think at the time was the standout prospect? Who did you think would go the furthest and whose progression has most impressed you?
0: Well, it's funny you mention that team because actually even the team before that, the one that won the Cup in 2010, the United, that was a really good United team. Um, they finished third in the league under Peter Houston because obviously Craig Levine left the Scotland job. And they won the Scottish Cup. And they were a really good team. Um, and then it was almost like the next cycle mm-hmm. that, that came along. And I remember, I remember watching Ryan Gold score at McDermott Park. I think it was. And I think he would have been 17 years old. And I said to, I remember seeing to Jackie McNamara, who was the manager at the time, after the game. It was probably his second or third game. I said, how good do you think he can be? And he said, Well, listen, let's just keep our feet on the ground here. But <laughs> I just remember Ryan Gold. He was tiny. He was yeah. absolutely tiny. I thought this it was he was a kid. He was an absolutely a kid. And then it wasn't that long after um, that he went off to Portugal. And there was clearly a lot of talent there. He was just such so, so, so easy on the eye to watch. And I thought this is gonna be quite uh you know, quite a story, quite a ride. This um, he's he's going to be a world beater, and it's I find it really strange that it's just not turned out the way, perhaps many of us in the media thought it would, and maybe many fans would. And Ryan Gold, I, th- I think, is perfectly happy with his life, and he's living a wonderful life in Canada now, and he's having fun scoring goals, and he might break back into the Scotland squad. But uh, I do I think there's a, a really interesting case study there in in a young player with hoodles of talent who gets a big move and then for some reason or another it doesn't work out and a smarter person than me will be able to nail down why that was Um, but he was the one who looked to be the most talented I can tell you Andy Robertson I thought from my perspective I had no idea no concept having watched him firstly at Queen's Park and then at Dundee United perhaps that he would be the player he's become and the, the his work rate is off the scale and always has been and that's one of the main reasons that it's led him to the things that, that that he's achieved um the player that for me I was always I love to watch was Johnny Russell because he's two-footed mm, yeah. um, I mean he scored a magnificent goal i think in a Dundee derby cutting off the right wing um and hit an absolute worldie i think it was a Dundee derby into the top corner and I just thought he was phenomenal uh, to watch as a young player when he was twenty twenty one because he, he was just a little bit older than that group of gold suitor and Armstrong. And um, again, he's did very, very well in England um, with Derby and whatnot. And, um, and now he's doing very well over in the States as well. He's having a very, re- a very good season. Um, and I think he's someone that I'm surprised has not made more of an impact in a Scotland Jersey. And I think, perhaps has maybe not had the luck of the draw in some regards. Um, but uh, I, whenever he's called up, he's never let the country down. He's always done very, very well. I do wonder whether or not he might get, you know, he might be involved in the next, over the next few camp you know, campaigns and um, over the, through the next few camps, because I think he's still got a lot to offer, even though he's what, pushing 30 now. Um, mm-hmm. And, Stuart Armstrong was always the one. When you spoke to people at Dundee United, they said that they thought he was the one that would go potentially play somewhere like Germany or Spain. Mm -hmm. Again, two-footed, you know, a beautiful, smooth style of of play, and very, very smart as well. A very, very sharp footballing mind, and he's he's obviously he's a trained uh, he's trained as a lawyer. I uh, always remember
1: Armstrong. always remember that wasn't his he he did like an open university degree yeah. for a number of years very very
0: sharp an absolute yeah. disaster to interview from my perspective because he would <laughs> never answer the question. Yeah. So um, but a good player, a really good player. Um and yeah, I mean that there was there were great, great young players, you know, who 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 had a great platform at Dungeon United as a club. And I find it amazing that about a year or so after they all left, United got relegated. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's more about the way in which the club was run, I think, at the time. But I mean, the, the, in terms of the players that I have seen coming through, and it, and the ones that impressed me the most, I remember when, I remember when Callum McGregor came back to Celtic, and it was just after Ronnie Dyla took over, and he'd had a really successful spell at Knotts County. Mm-hmm. You could immediately tell that he had something. He had a wee, just a wee X factor, and he was so comfortable in the team, and immediately became a starter, and never has never fallen out of the team ever since. Um, but going way back, I remember when Scott Brown broke into the Hibs team, mm-hmm. and they played him as a striker, and he was all over the place. I mean, literally just running around like a headless chicken, bouncing off defenders, full of energy. And then one of the first games uh, I covered. Uh, on a live Sky OB. Back in the day, we didn't have, uh, I say we, <laughs> Sky didn't have the uh, the rights to the league. Um, they had the Scottish Cup rights though and Hibbs went to uh, Ibrox in the fourth round and it was a bright, cold day in February and there was a bit of pressure on Alan McLeish, who was the Rangers manager at the time. And Hibbs absolutely destroyed them 3-0 and it was the second time that they'd beaten Rangers 3-0 in the seat, during the season and Scott Brown ran the show that day, just as he'd run the show at Ibrox earlier on in the season in the league game, and he had a stupid mohawk haircut. He <laughs> I mean, looked ridiculous. And I know Scott really well. So I'm sure it was that. fashionable at the time. Yeah, I was well, I don't think it was ever fashionable. That <laughs> was and Scott himself would admit he was never really that fashionable. But um he uh, he absolutely bossed it that day. And Ivan Sproul scored a goal and Chris Killen, I think, scored a goal. O'Connor got the first one. And then moved off to Locomotive Moscow about three weeks later. And you just felt God that that was the that the, the young Hibs players that came through then were arguably a better crop of young players than the Dungeon United lot, in my oh. view. I think they were a better bunch of players with so like potential. Kevin Thompson, Whitaker, yeah. Brown. Yeah, Riordan. Oh, Riordan is a, what a player Riordan was at his peak. Mm. And when it, his peak was 21, 2, two-footed, yeah. easy peasy. Best finisher i've I think I've seen in Scottish football in my time, apart from possibly Griffiths, um, just so natural. But again, players make decisions and managers make decisions and clubs make decisions and things don't always go the way you want them to go. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you look back over 16, 17 years and over the time that I've covered um, the game in this country, there's some of the players who've gone on to great, great things and some who had the potential who maybe just didn't fulfill it. Um, I, I never really saw John McGinn coming, I'll be honest with you, mm. until he went to Hibs. I, I knew he had loads of potential at St Mirren, and obviously they, you know, they won the League Cup um, when he was there, and I never really kind of grasped how good a player he could be yeah. until I saw him laterally at Hibs. Mm-hmm. And it's it, sometimes you just don't – sometimes a lot of players need to get to the next level to then – go to the next level metaphorically, if you know what I mean. Whereas yeah, some yeah. show some show their true potential at a lower level and then they find it difficult to move on just mm-hmm. due to circumstance and things like that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, some, sometimes the, the click between player and club and manager and style and teammates and all that jazz, sometimes it's just right and sometimes it's just not right. And that doesn't yeah. make the player a worse player or a better player. I mean, John McGinn, John McGinn is a fascinating one. And I sometimes think about, you know, there are sometimes these sort of sliding doors moments in football and John McGinn's arguably a perfect example of that because he was, he was coming out of contract at St. Mirren, and obviously I don't know what offers were on the table for him at that time. Obviously he was very highly rated. He was being talked of about a lot. And then he has that incident in training with Stephen Thompson where Stephen Thompson throws the spike and it goes through his thigh (laughs) and it puts him out for the season. And I sometimes wonder to myself, you know, I wonder what 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 impact that made on John McGinn's value going into the sort of free agent market. And you can't help but wonder, I bet his options changed a bit, you know, given that suddenly mm. he hasn't played for weeks, he's out injured, and it's amazing how quickly people can forget about you in football. So would he have ended up at Hibs without that injury? Maybe not. But Hibs yeah. was probably the best move he could have made because it was that step up, it's a bigger club, and then he gets to go on and play, wins a cup, gets to play in Europe, and then makes the move to Aston Villa. And, yeah, he, John McGinn is a guy who just, every step he's made in his career, he's taken in stride. And I, I don't think he's found a level yet that he can't play at.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. And, and by the way, I have to say, what you could not meet a nicer individual than John McGinn. What a, what a terrific example he is for young players. Growing up, actually, him him, and his, and his brothers as well. They're, the three of them are Stephen and Paul. Great, great lads, great servants for all the clubs they've played for. And um, it's been nice to see Paul getting a wee bit of recognition <laughs> with Scotland as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I, I just, I just, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of again. And, and I think as well, though, like I, I have this theory kind of more widely, more widely about the Scotland team that you look front to back in the squad and almost every single player has a part of their career where they've had to overcome something really big, you know, they've had to overcome rejection or serious injury. And that can't really be a coincidence that, you know, that they've, they've achieved what they've achieved because of the the things they've overcome. Like nothing's come easy to a lot of these players. I mean, Andy Robertson famously, you know, released by Celtic and had to start again at the bottom. And McGinn had his injuries and Jack Hendry had his injuries and Kieran Tierney's had goodness knows how many injuries and overcome them, you know, and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a resilient group of players. And I think you can see that now in how they play together and how they don't give up together. You know, some, someone on Twitter, they, 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 they um, put up uh, from, the, from the final minute of the Israel game, when Scotland are desperate for a goal or 2-2, we're desperate to get the win. And how many times have you seen Scotland teams in the past? They'd be getting the, the, the balls in Craig Gordon's hands. That ball would be launched straight up to the striker as quickly as possible. But they don't do that. He throws it out from his hand. They build from the back. Ball makes it way, its way to Gilmore, who slips it to Dykes, who wins the corner. And the fact that they had the faith and the, to stick with the system and stick with the plan at that late stage and gets the winner, yeah, it, it shows the real strength of this team mentally.
0: Oh, I think they've got mental strength and I think that they have had to overcome a lot of things, but I think they also know that they're quite good. Mm. I think that's the difference as well. Players need players need to be loved. Players need to be able to buy into a system and a concept or a theory, a game plan, but players also have a swagger and a, and a self-awareness of when they're in a good spot um, from the experience that I've had dealing with professional dressing rooms, not just in football, but in other sports as well. But you, you see uh, you look at i mean look at ronaldo cristiano ronaldo who in my view is the, the best player i've ever seen um i think he's better than messi but and we can argue about that for until the cows come home um and he just knows he he he, he he's just got that little bit of x factor um which he's had since i think he was at sporting lisbon he knew that he was good but he also needed to, to learn and to grow there was a and we go all the way back to the right the start of our conversation talk about walter smith and there's a brilliant story doing the rounds Darren fletcher talking about how walter smith essentially was the one he felt who made cristiano ronaldo appreciate how good he could be because at, at man united walter smith when he came in as his assistant to, 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 to sir alex briefly he stopped calling fouls in training
1: <laughs> and
0: yeah. Um and Darren Fletcher tells the story far better than me, but basically it meant that Ronaldo realized he couldn't play act and muck about and showboat. He had to start actually touch, pass, move. He had to do that. And that was the beginning of the development of Ronaldo as the player we see now. But when you've got when you get to a certain level, and I think international level is the level, and perhaps the top end of the SPFL or you know, the, the level that you as a player are at, whether it's the top end of a particular league you begin to realise, hang on a minute, this is working and we are actually a good bunch of players. or I am a good player at this level now and I get mm-hmm. that I belong here. And this, the, the, the beauty about the international team now is that, and I think you could say this, but the women's team as well up to a point because the women's team got to a major finals and then they got to another one. They felt that they belonged and the scotland team now having been at the euros should feel like hang on a minute we can compete with austria away from home we can go away mm-hmm. and get a result there we can be, we can beat israel even if we're, we're we're down at home and when they if and when they go to this playoff i don't think there'll be any doubt in the minds of the players yeah we can win this game doesn't matter who it is against it might be a portugal it might be a team that's ranked higher and fav- is a favorite but they're good enough, these players. They're professional enough. They're ex- a lot of them are experienced enough. There are a lot of younger players in there, but they believe that they belong at that level now. And I, I, that's why that's what it fills me with a great sense of hope that they can be consistent under the manager for you know, the, a reasonable period of time. And I think that's why it is actually important that Steve Clark did say he's going to stay on. Because as yeah. soon as an international manager leaves, Another guy's coming in and he's bringing a new philosophy. Who's to say that the players are not necessarily going to look at that and think, well, I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. And then you're basically starting from scratch again. I, have, I, I am of the ilk and of the opinion that Scotland made a mistake at the time by um, moving on from Gordon Strachan. And I know he'd been in the job a long time, but I felt when he left, actually, they were on the up curve. And I think that the at the board at the time, in my view, made a mistake in, in moving on from him. And there was a lot of stuff that went on in the background that led to that decision. But the players that I spoke to at the time weren't entirely happy that he left because they felt that they were onto a winner. Yeah, but
1: well, well, I mean, I mean that's they, history, they,
0: yeah? of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, they 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 just finished a, a calendar year unbeaten, which is something that we have, we don't do particularly often. Um, but I think you know, actually, t- touching on that point, I think. One of the things that you look for, and presumably you you might get a bit, have a better read of this being closer to it than we are as supporters, but I always try to look for, do the players look like they're enjoying it? Like, do they look yeah. like they want to be there? Do they look like they're enjoying being there? And I think you did. You certainly got that when Gordon Strachan was manager. The players certainly felt like they wanted to be there and they were loving working under Gordon. And I think you're absolutely getting that now. I mean... A lot, of the, a lot of the video content that the Scottish FA have been putting out recently has been absolutely first class. There was a video <laughs> that they put out after the Israel game and it was following the players on their lap of honour. And a couple of things I, I I just loved about that video. One of them is the fact that you see Andy Robertson, as soon as he, they start it, he's going to the sideline and he's calling on all the subs because he's saying, right, we're all the team, you're all part of it, get on. The fact that the subs are buzzing and they're happy and they're smiling and they're joking with the guys they're not pissed off that they didn't get on the pitch they're part of the team they're part of it and then you see a guy like a guy like scott mctominay who you listen to him and he's got this broad english accent and he is walking around that pitch and you can see him singing along to yes or i can boogie and i'm just like that fills me with just so much joy seeing that (laughs) i mean do you do you think that there's there's something in that that a happy team is a good team as well
0: yeah, and I I think at the same time you can't, you can't take, oh they're happy, and so that's fine. Don't take that for granted. Mm. But it, it, when you go into your workplace and you're happy, you're gonna you're going to produce better work. That's just a fact <laughs> of life. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, so yeah, I do I do absolutely get that, and that's the that's the club concept. That's mm-hmm. what Steve Clark has tried to build, and I think he feels he has built. Um, and that's what successful Scotland managers before uh, him managed to do. Um, Gordon, I think, did that. I think for uh, a time, I think Alec McLeish carried that on in his first spell from what Walter achieved. And so, yeah, it's it's. It, I don't think it's rocket science, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you you say that, but obviously (laughs) we haven't had too much
1: success over the years, so it's sometimes easier said. But a wee
0: country, Gordon. We're a wee country. We're not. (laughs) We do punch above our weight, and I think we would be if we get this (laughs) World Cup. There's no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Um, But look, let's 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 just before we
1: wrap up, let's speculate out into the future. Then, Um, looking within the SPFL, um, maybe some players who maybe haven't made the impact at international level yet obviously you spoke about your admiration for David Turnbull earlier but who would you say are sort of the next Roberts and Tierney McGinn that are going to come from the SPFL and become Scotland
0: regulars in the near future well I think we're going to need a goalkeeper soon yes um <laughs> with the greatest of respect to to Craig Gordon um he's just younger than me um no, and that, you know what, now you, know, you know I, I am given away how old I am do you, yeah, do you, I do,
1: you want, do you want to know what I found out the other day? The, <laughs> the last time, the last time we played Moldova in Moldova when it was Bertie mm. what was his last game in charge? That was Craig Gordon's fifth cap. Aye, yeah, I know. Twenty-one year old Craig scary. Gordon. Yeah,
0: it's very scary. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, there was some, and I mean, there's players who are in that team who are now in their fifties, just about. <laughs> so um, Craig is, uh, is long in the tooth, he's still very fit and goalkeepers can play into their forties, but I would like to see a goalkeeper um, come through who can be the next Craig Gordon or the next David Marshall or... Yeah, for the, for the we next have 10 years, spoiled, that. to be fair. But, I mean, oh, we, totally. And I, I, you know, Scotland, Scotland have had a history of producing great goalkeepers. Um, and ultimately, you need someone who is ready to take the next step up. Now, who is that? If you look at in the SPFL, you automatically look at Xander Clark. And Xander Clark had an absolute worldie at the weekend for St Johnston. He's got the presence, he's got the stature, he's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. I think people forget this. People in, there's been screaming notions for Santa Clark needs to be in the Scotland squad. Well, that's fine. But he, is he going to play? Not at the moment. He's not. Yep. Um, so you absolutely get him into the squad for experience. He's been in the squad. He might well be in the squad again very, very shortly. Um, but I think he's absolutely got the capability to be an international goalkeeper from what I've seen. Um, Outfield-wise, I mean, it's, uh, we need a striker. That's the other thing we need. Mm. Scotland needs someone who can keep the back door shut and they need someone who can bang in the goals. And Scotland has never, as a nation, produced many prolific goal scorers. The most prolific goal scorer in the nation's history is Julie Fleeting. And yeah. look at what she did. She never went to a major tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know you need someone who's going to who, get the goals. And invariably, that means they're going to have to cost 20 or 30 million quid. And the club's going to have to buy them. uh now we've got lyndon dykes who's scoring goals for scotland and he was an absolute bargain as far as i was concerned for qpr um now you do have the situation sometimes players play well for their nation and not for their club and vice versa but um i think i would be intrigued to see who the next young superstar is who's coming through the the ranks i mean fraser hornby was playing 21s very successfully came to the SPFL last season with Aberdeen and got injured and did virtually nothing. Is he the next Scotland striking superstar? I don't know. Um, certainly with the 21s, he did very well, but he's got a lot of development that needs to, to happen in there. Um, there has been a lot of hype about young Ramsey at Aberdeen.
1: Just when you uh, thought the Andy Robertson-Kieran
0: and Tierney debate was over... We're going to have 10 uh, well,
1: years of the same thing on the right-hand side.
0: Well, yeah. And you've got young Tony Ralston at Celtic who's yeah. playing out of his skin. And I saw him on Saturday um, in the flesh. And I saw him actually last week as well um, in the game against Hibs. And he scored a goal. And he appears to be reborn. And I think it's only a matter of time before he gets into the squad. But it's great to have these dilemmas and these young players that you want to see propelled into the... Score, but ultimately scotland produced world-class fullbacks that's great that the fullback is with the greatest respect is not the key position on the pitch it's mm-hmm. goalkeeper center mid center defense striker those yep. are the decision those are the positions that ultimately are your spine of your team and generally scotland find themselves short in one of those positions <laughs> at some point or another when alan hutton was uh, the right back rampaging down the wing for alec Leclerc and walter smith there was no left-back, yeah. really. I think Graham yeah. Alexander was playing left-back, filling in, and did a great job. And now we've suddenly got two world-class left-backs. And until recently, some folk were arguing we didn't have a right-back. Now, Nathan Patterson's a great prospect, but Nathan Patterson's not a regular in the Rangers team. Yeah. So therein lies another problem. So it's never an easy job being an international manager. I, I, there are a lot, The great thing about the SPFL is there's a wonderful breeding ground for young players to get game time to get minute after minute of action, frenetic, high-energy, exciting football, exposure against good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, a club like, you know, Hamilton Ackies or Hibernian or uh, St Mirren, brilliant clubs where young players have always had a chance. And that will always be the case. Um, and the more young footballers that get a chance in Scottish football at a top level the quicker that they'll progress on to the point whereby they're being considered for the national duty. You, on the odd occasion, you'll get a Billy Gilmore situation when he leaves really young and goes down south. But invariably, the great thing about Scottish football is it is a wonderful showcase mm-hmm. for the next generation. And that will always, that will always happen. And that's, that's, that's what Scottish football should be about. And that's what the, the top division should be about. And ultimately, there will always be two or three players every year that catch the eye and then they will get their chance eventually if the right man is in place and has the the judgment call to be able to give them that, Mm -hmm. that opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually probably we are probably in the best place we've been in a long time for young players to come in to the Scotland team now because we're not, you know, I think for quite a long time we were always sort of fans were probably the most uh, to blame for this. And I think the media to a certain extent as well, that there was always this kind of Messiah complex about the, around the Scotland team in terms of X player. So long as X player is in the team, we'll be great. And there was so much pressure on those guys. Like it was Jordan Rhodes for the longest time. It was Stephen Fletcher when he wasn't in the team. It was Chris Boyd when he wasn't in the team.
0: And I feel but these that- things happen when the team's not winning. Well, ex- well, precisely, yeah. no one absolutely. does. No one complains about that when the team's doing well. Absolutely. Which is why I'm saying that
1: now is such such a good time because, you know, we've had like David Turnbull, Lewis Ferguson, Nathan Patterson. They've been in and around teams without necessarily having to play in the first team, but they've been around the squads. They've been training with the guys and they can be integrated when the time is right. And we're not crying out desperate for them to deliver from day one, minute one, because we're doing okay. (laughs) As I hope we've come to agreement that we're on the right track. Um, Yeah. But yeah, look, this has been a great, great chat, uh, Charles. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of questions for you before we wrap up. Um Go on one from One from John Bleasdale, who's a regular contributor. Oh, yes. Um, yes. I believe you know. Um, he's want- he wants to know, what is Charles's favourite away day experience following Scotland? You can have business or pleasure, or both. <laughs> um, and what was the best beer on those trips? Some...
0: Beer? It's Go. <laughs> a good question. Do you know the funniest trip I've ever been on? There's been a... F- I- the best, well, the best thing about being a journalist, in my view, has always been the chance to travel to different places, whether it be in this country or in other countries and meet different people and uh, sample different beers and eat different foods and all that kind of stuff. And with Scotland, actually, one of the... I mean, I've been... Where have I been? I've been all over the place. time was interesting, but that wasn't a happy trip. It was cold. <laughs> nice place, but there wasn't much there. Macedonia was bonkers. Absolutely bizarre place. Was that was that was that but, the George Burley
1: one when we were uh, no, no 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 it was when Macedonia. Gordon was in
0: charge and Scotland were already out and we went out there and um, Akechiania I remember landing. uh Akechiania scored. Uh scored, yeah. They won 2-1. Oh, no, I sure remember landing in yeah, that's right. I remember landing on the plane and like the all the fields were on fire. I was like, what's going on here? It's a question. <laughs> and we were we went out for dinner actually in Macedonia and the um it was internet it was Independence Day weekend. And there was a big rock concert going on in the middle of the square. And I just remember our meal, there was four of us at a meal. And I think we, we, we had about three bottles of wine between us and a really nice meal. And it cost something like six pounds or something. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, but the best trip, without a shadow of a doubt, was Croatia um, away when Scotland were we, were... we were, and I really probably shouldn't be saying this, but we were unofficially in the press box doing almost a sweep on how badly Scotland were going to get beaten. So Gordon and had just taken yeah. over. Was, they were already out. The, the, the previous game had been in Novi Sad in March in the snow, and they'd been knocked out of the World Cup already. 2013. We were, we were
1: mathematically the first team to get eliminated. I, if qualified. I know. They were abysmal
0: at that time. They had just taken over and from Levine, and they were diabolical. Um, and... they'd lost lost to Wales, they lost to Serbia, and then we go out and it's June in in Croatia. And Croatia ranked number four in the world and there were no fans at the game because they'd been banned. And uh, I think there would have been racist chanting or something. Anyway, we're in Zagreb, which is a beautiful place. Very strange trip. Um, The day before, I remember, we went to a cemetery to film the Croatian players because they were visiting the grave of a basketball player who died in a car crash um, like 10 years before or something. And this guy's a national hero in Croatia. And so the whole squad go to this. Um, we got invited by the Croatian press team to go to this graveyard. And I was like, this is really strange. And so we're filming Jelovic, who just left Rangers to go to Everton, and Modric, who was you know, starry-eyed at that point at Tottenham, just about to go to Real Madrid. And Manzukic and all these superstars, and they were a really good team, Croatia. And I remember, and, and Eduardo, you remember Eduardo used yep. to play for Arsenal? He was Arsenal, at Arsenal. Yeah, he? Until yeah. Team anyway, team. all these great, great, great players. And we were thinking, Scott, am going to get walloped here? <laughs> and then um, he played three at the back. He played Russell Martin and Grant Hanley, I think. And I can't remember who the third one was. Anyway, and Robert Snodgrass scored a goal, because Maloney flicked on. Robert Snodgrass burgled a goal in the first half, and we were sitting in this tiny little press box, and we all jumped up and just about hit our heads off the roof. And Croatia just couldn't get going at all, and Scotland won 1-0. And as I said, there were no, there were no uh, fans um, in the stadium, so you know everyone's we're all jumping up and down in the press box, like 15, 20 of us. And the Croatian journalists are giving us evil looks, And so we go into the press room and people um, in Croatia in the press room, certainly in 2013, were quite happy to smoke, no problems. Um, And so there's like fumes of, you know, cigarette smoke and pipe smoke wafting around the room. And we're in a bit of a rush because we at that time traveled as journalists on the plane with the squad. Um, It doesn't happen anymore. You can ask the SFA why. I'm sure they'll give you a very diplomatic reason. Anyway, um, Gordon Stratton comes in. Slightly buzzing after getting this win, and sits down and the interpreter sits next to him. And Daryl Broadfoot, who was the media officer at the time, sat down and said, right, well, we'll do the Scottish journalist questions first. And then there'll be a couple of Croatian journalist questions, and then we'll have to go to the we'll have to leave because we need to go to the airport. And the Croatian media were not impressed at all at what was being translated to them and started yelling at Gordon. And Gordon Strachan, for all his faults, is a stickler for manners. Yeah. And took the hump of this, did not like this. And I was told, Daryl had said, oh, you can ask the first question for Sky. And I was, I had started on my question and then this Croatian guy, this big burly guy, about two rows behind, breaks in and um, starts interrupting me. And Gordon went, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, no, no. He's asking a question, quiet. I oh, thanks, Gordon. Ask the question again. <laughs> this guy starts shouting again in Croatian. Oh, hang on a minute. This is, not, this is my press conference, said Gordon. This is not your press conference. This is my press conference. This is my press conference as a Scotland manager. If you don't behave, we're not going to have a press conference. And then it happened again, and someone else shouted from the back of the room, and Gordon went, right, that's it. I've had enough, and he gets up. Off he goes, straight down the hall, and then he th- turns around and beckons to all of us, the Scottish media saying, right, come with me, lads. Let's meet you at trackside. And he walked out, <laughs> and there was uproar in the room. And I quickly turned around to the camera, and were like, quick. <laughs> and so we all we all leg it down trackside. The, the paper journalists frantically following me, and so myself, I think it was Chris McLaughlin from the BBC, and one other. We got a very quick. Um, we all did a quick two minute hit with Gordon trackside. He's like, "What a bloody nonsense!" He said, "How rude were they?" <laughs> like Gordon, tell us about the result. Oh, brilliant result! Great result! Fantastic. Um, you know, literally all we needed was a minute and a half to send back to London on the on the laptop. Um, right, we're going, let's get out of this place now. And so we all pile on the bus and off we went. It was a run, run was, out of town. Yeah,
1: little,
0: literally, little we, little we were running out of town, it. off to the airport. And honest to goodness, it was hilarious. I mean, they were not happy at all. I had this, these upstarts from Scotland coming in and beating their world superstars. So, yeah. interesting, interesting trip. Great fun, though. And a great result. And it was the best result that I ever witnessed in the flesh on the road. Because a mm-hmm. lot of these trips on the road were hard work tough really really no, hard sure, work yeah
1: well well. I mean I think it took me until my 10th away game ninth or 10th away game before I saw us win away from home and that was Ugh. Gibraltar so that hardly even I don't know if that really counts Gordon to oh, be honest no. I, I'll take it mate I will absolutely <laughs> take it um,
0: but yeah do you, do you but in terms was... of the beer uh, I don't even I have no idea I genuinely don't know but I, all I know is that wherever you go the beer tends to be really expensive mm. I do like a glass of red wine now i am not. I've gone off the beer <laughs> You've evolved you've changed yes.
1: <laughs> yeah i think some some something i do love about going on these away trips though is that you you kind of you you expand your mind to these different cultures and different mm. countries and yet sometimes that realization that you're not the kind of biggest show in town that sometimes stings a little bit i mean i remember i went to um it was craig levine's first game in charge was away from home in lithuania starting a campaign and we drew nil mm. nil and I remember we arrived in Lithuania and then we're going out to bars and chatting to the locals and stuff. And you, we came to realize that the, the Basketball World Cup was on at the same time. And everybody in Lithuania, that's their national sport is basketball. And they were like, wait, why are you here? Why, why are you guys here? And they couldn't really, they really give a toss. They were more, far I, more interested. In you know, music. I
0: remember that game vividly because it was the day before I got married. Um, <laughs> and I remember watching it at my best man's house. There was about five or six of us watching it. Because it was the what were we going to do the night before you get married, Charles. I was like, I don't know, let's watch the football. And it was the most. Uh, you, you were at the game, it was the most yep. disastrously, terribly, turgid nil-nil oh, draw, if I recall. D- dreadful crazy. game, dreadful yeah. game of football, and that I think set the tone, unfortunately, for that entire campaign. <laughs> Indeed. Well, look, great
1: right, before one one final question, and um, a question from a member of uh, a fellow member of the commentariat. Paul Mitchell uh, wants to know, and this 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 is appropriate given where you're where you are filming right now. I'll I'll let you buy listeners behind the curtain. He wants to know. Ask him about who likes his kitchen. And <laughs> that's like the a problem story. with Zoom.
0: <laughs> and, uh, he's doing that deliberately. That's the problem with Zoom. Um, I uh, I do the uh, NFL podcast, the NFL Scotland podcast with Paul and a couple of other. Uh, broadcasters um and uh that this came up in conversation as a throwaway line which i'm now regretting um, <laughs> but the beauty of zoom over the last couple of years has been that yeah you do get to see the inside of footballers houses and there are some interesting ones i have to say um especially right at the start when they were where they were at home and you got mm-hmm. to see their curtains and their yeah. wallpaper um and I, I remember sitting chatting with um a a, a, a captain of an SPFL club who I will not name talking about homeschooling and his inability to fill the paper tray in his printer. Um, <laughs> fascinating stuff. Um, but no, there is, a, I've had a couple, I'm not going to name a name because I don't think it's fair. We'll keep that for the, if you want to listen to the NFL Scotland podcast and go back, you might actually find out which footballer it was. But um, the, like, needless to say, there have been some who have commented on my kitchen and I've said, well, listen, I, I couldn't tell you where we got it from but my wife has got all the details <laughs> and um yeah there have been a few bizarre comments actually um so oh yeah I really like the the decor you've got thinking well <laughs> yeah but we're here to do a zoom interview about the next game can we stop talking about my kitchen <laughs> so um but that's hey listen it, it's been a bit of a weird world the last couple of years so I'll let footballers can sometimes have relatively boring existences or anything for a bit of a Bit of banter. There's been some very bem- amusing Zoom calls involving the media over the last couple of years. People in mm-hmm. cars, people where they, when things have cut out, when the audio has not been on, or, or it has been on and they didn't know. Mm. um <laughs> Especially at the yep. start, it was it was a bit odd. um I, yeah, I, I did coming it. In, I remember. Yeah, it's coming in, it, well, well, my yeah, my my, my children gatecrashed a couple of um a couple of live uh, Zooms I was doing and and Teams interviews I was doing one with one with uh, Anne Budge actually in particular and she just was hooting with laughter for about five minutes because <laughs> my six year old had come in looking for something and it, it took her about five minutes to sort of uh, stop laughing from the fact that I was explaining to her what was going on. So listen. That's the world we live in at the moment, isn't it? But we're all used to it now. And the technology is a lot better than it was when the pandemic started, isn't that indeed? <laughs> indeed. But
1: look, Charles, this has been an absolute pleasure to spend time in your company. Um, great to get your insights on Scotland team, SPFL, past, present, future. Um, this has been great. So thank you so much for, for taking the time.
0: Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Oh, oh yes, sir, I can boogie. If you stay, I can't go wrong. I can boogie, 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 on the low.